From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm your host and Prindle Institute director, Andy Cullison, and with me is our producer, Kate Berry. Hello. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I want to help you see that there are a lot of times when thinking something is a bad idea is itself a bad idea. And if you like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. So, Kate, what's the case today? Well, today we've got a longtime manager, Alan, and he gets yet another knock on the door from a fairly promising but pretty new hire, Doug, who a couple times a week comes into Alan's office and says, I've got this great fix for a problem that's going to make everyone's life easier. It's going to streamline our entire system. Everyone is going to thank me for this. And every time, it's a really bad idea. It's something Alan has heard over and over, something that has been tried and failed, or sort of the conventional wisdom is this is not the thing that works. And Alan knows this because he's been around a long time, but he's noticing that every time he shoots Doug down or says, oh, we're not going to try that, that he gets really discouraged. And he's afraid that he is on one hand going to trample a promising young hire, or on the other hand, green light things that he knows are not that great. Okay, this is an interesting case. And I can imagine managers and leaders, particularly those who have been in the game for a long time, probably often have thoughts like this. You know, you've heard it all, right? You've heard all of these solutions. And then you have these new fresh out of college entry level folks come in, they're excited, as you say, they're enthusiastic. And you know, you're thinking, if I just shoot them down right away, and immediately identify why I think they're bad ideas, people are going to get discouraged. So I think there's a real dilemma that someone in Alan's position is struggling here. So let's get to work. Great. Where do we get started? I think there might be a case to be made that, that Alan should consider taking bad ideas seriously. I think there are reasons that we could get out on the table that would make Alan probably feel like maybe it's not so bad to to take bad ideas seriously. And I think it would help if we just recognized interesting analogies that exist between being a manager or a leader in an organization on the one hand and being a teacher in the classroom on the other hand. And I think if we play with that analogy for a little bit, I think we're going to see some interesting things that Alan could utilize in thinking about what's going on in his situation. Because, look, professors, particularly professors who have been professors for a long time, do struggle with something that I think is very similar to what Alan is struggling with, right? I've taught intro to philosophy. I've been a philosophy professor for 20 years. I don't know how many times I've taught it. And, you know, you introduce students to a classic puzzle in philosophy almost every suggestion that comes up in the classroom you've heard dozens and dozens of times and it's it's a real challenge to 
seriously and thoughtfully engage students in dialogue when they think they've just introduced something that's just mind-blowingly awesome and you know you've heard it and you already know what the objections are to the thing that's been put on the table and so i think we should start there uh, because you can start to see Things that you would do in the classroom are things that I think someone like Alan could do in the boardroom or in his one-on-one. Great. So what sort of things do, does a teacher or a professor do that a manager might learn from? Well, I think in managerial settings, it's very common to kind of trumpet your experience to kind of get the authority as, as evidence that you have the authority to weigh in on this. And I'd, I'd consider not playing the experience card. So for example, there's a classic uh, kind of ethical dilemma that comes up when I do intro to ethics called the trolley problem. We don't need to go into the details about what that is. But, you know, if someone were giving me a solution to the trolley problem, I wouldn't say things like, I've thought about this trolley problem since before you were born. Like, you know, first day of class, I introduce it, student raises an objection. And then I say something like that to sort of put myself up as the authority who has the authority to point out that it's a bad idea, right? Like I'd hear the student out, right? I'd be like, hey, that's, you know, interesting thought. Let's talk a little bit more about it. Let me ask you some more questions and see see where you want to take this. Because the role of the student isn't necessarily to come up with an entirely original idea, but to learn something, to go through the process. And if you, as a teacher, you said, no, already done it, read it, know it, that wouldn't be a very instructive environment. The whole point isn't for them to bring you something totally new that you've never heard before. Right. And the reason I'm going with this analogy is I think it's easy to forget that one of the roles of a manager or a leader is to develop people and not just giving them the technical skills they need. You want to walk them through how to be thinking about problems in the work environment and how to be thinking about solutions and puzzles and and how to talk about potential solutions. So in a philosophy classroom, I'm not trying to teach them what the right thing to think is about an issue. I'm trying to cultivate a set of skills to engage in good, sound, philosophical methodology. And if Alan thinks of his role with Doug as, look, I'm not only trying to help Doug get at the right solutions, I'm trying to help Doug learn how to think about problems in our organization and how to have conversations about solutions to those problems. And so there's this there's this very similar parallel where you're you're trying to develop that. And so, you know, just like you would nurture a student's idea and ask them questions and engage in dialogue with them about this objection to the trolley problem, you might do the same with Doug. This involves hearing them out, right? I wouldn't play the experience card in the classroom. I would try not to cut in and sort of finish that student's sentence, right? Like if a student starts telling me their solution to the trolley problem, I wouldn't cut the student off as soon as I knew what the idea was, right? I wouldn't say, oh yeah, I know where you're going with this. Let me finish that thought. And then I'm going to tell you why it's a bad idea. Like you need to let that idea kind of ferment and let the student articulate what it is and let them verbalize it. But, you know, in work environments, because we prize efficiency and things like that, and, you know, we want to just get right down to solving the problem, there's this tendency to sort of, once you realize what the idea that the new entry-level employee is suggesting, you cut them off and you're like, oh, no, wait, I know where you're going with this. You're going to propose that we have more meetings and I'm going to, and, and then, and then I'm going to say this, and then I know you're going to reply like this, and then, and then, then I'm going to have to say this, right? Like you you sort of lay out the script for them, so to speak. But 
if you're trying to help them come to see how to engage in dialogue about problems in your industry, um, again, you just you need to be actively listening, hear the idea let, fully, and then engage them with whatever this idea is and ask the questions that you might think get them to even come to see why maybe it's not the best idea, but you sort of help them discover it for themselves through the kind of thinking you would want them to do rather than just assert, no, that's wrong. Yeah. Here's the real counterintuitive thing when it comes to taking bad ideas seriously. There might be situations where someone proposes a solution that they have their heart set on, and you might need to just be willing to let them move forward with the idea with kind of permission to fail, you know, hey, let's test it out. Let's see let's see how it works and then we'll we'll assess and see how things are going and you know, let's let's give it a shot. In a classroom setting, I think this is more like if a student decides they want to write their final paper defending what I think is the quote unquote bad idea, you know, I wouldn't just say, "Ah, you know what? That's not going to go anywhere." Don't even go down that road. I'd say, no, let, let's give it a shot, right? I mean, I, the, I view the writing process as a tool by which people can sort of get clarity about a puzzle or a problem. And so it's, it's the act of writing that helps them come to see for themselves things that I hope they would eventually see about an idea, that they would come to discover some of these problems and puzzles for themselves. And you're, you're, again, you're training a kind of habit of thinking or a habit of mind. In a classroom setting, it'd be letting them go down that road, let them flesh out the idea, and then you know ask really pointed focused questions to help them clarify things, raise possible puzzles for them, say, you know, that's interesting. Here's a possible puzzle that I think you might want to consider. Let me know what you think about that. And in a work setting, it might just be, hey, you know, let's give this thing a shot. Can't remember the details about why I think it didn't work, but you know, it's, it's worth giving it a new shot with a fresh set of eyes and, and seeing if uh, maybe you can come up with something that does solve the problem. You know, before we continue with other parallels between managing and teaching, I think we need to push pause on something and just get something out on the table. We have been talking about Doug's solution as though it were a quote unquote bad idea. And I think the first thing that someone like Alan might want to consider is in his head, Alan's calling it a bad idea. Well, in his head, Alan needs to stop calling it a bad idea, right? You, you would not do that in a philosophy class. It's an idea that you know won't be successful, right? Or that you think is riddled with problems. But there are two senses in which the bad idea, the quote unquote bad idea is a really good idea, right? If, if they're 18 and they come up with some of these ideas that I've heard thousands of times, I feel really, really good about where they are intellectually, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a huge thing for an 18-year-old to start really unpacking philosophical problems and being able to identify those potential solutions. And if they're doing that, that is, that is great. The other important sense in which we should stop thinking about this as a bad idea is what we call obviously bad ideas or non-starters weren't bad ideas or non-starters the first time someone thought of it usually, right? The first time someone said, oh, here's a here's a potential solution. That was a good idea, right? It was probably a good idea for you when you thought of it 20 years ago and tried it and it failed. And so by analogy to the workplace, 
you know, the first time you heard this idea, you were probably sold. In fact, if I'm reading the case right, Alan probably tried it, right? <laughs> Alan thought it was a good idea. They tried it and they're like, whoa, that was that was a bad idea, right? But, you know, in a sense, it wasn't. So it's a good idea in the sense that it was worth a shot for Alan 20 years ago. Uh, and if these are early career folks, Alan, like a professor in the classroom, should be thinking, man, this person's in a good place intellectually, right? With, with whatever this problem is. And, and you need to kind of, you need to kind of nurture that, I think. And I think it will be easier when you think of it that way to apply some of these parallels that I think are existing between being a manager and being a teacher. Yeah. It sounds like Alan has to be really aware of the years of difference between them, that, that he's been in this workplace for a long time. He's seen a lot. He's, he has a wealth of experience. And he has to be judicious about using that and not just whapping Doug over the head with it. But he also has to be really cognizant of how new Doug is and how it may be a, a more vulnerable time and, and easier to get discouraged. It may change his whole relationship to work. Absolutely. Again, to keep in mind that I think is another parallel uh, between managing and teaching is people need to keep this in mind. People are super attached to their first things in any kind of creative endeavor. Someone who uh, begins fiction writing for the first time is gonna be very attached to the first short story they write. But after they've written hundreds, they're less attached. The first time I ever get involved in any new hobby, right? The, that first thing I create, you know, it's my, it's my baby, it's my child. You know, an intro student at first day of class, that first time they decide to speak up, first time they decide to weigh in on a problem and they, they really have had a kind of aha moment, those ideas need to be handled, I think, much more delicately than, say, a senior philosophy major or a graduate student. Yeah. So you need to be keeping that in mind with your entry-level uh, employees as well, right? They're really, really excited and enthusiastic, and they're ready to start solving the problems that are keeping you up at night. And when they come to you with that first bright aha moment idea, and you say, oh, no, I've seen that a dozen times. It's terrible. And then they come to you again. And they're like, yeah, that is also terrible. And guess what? This third idea, also terrible, right? I mean, if you do that kind of thing, you're going to completely deflate them. And you're going to really, really set back uh, their development in terms of being able to think about the problems in your industry that you want them to. And it seems like Alan would then be training Doug to not bring him any ideas and maybe even to stop thinking about solutions, which would be bad for both of them. That even if these ideas that he's been bringing have not been great or particularly original, that doesn't mean that that would always be true. But if he feels like every time he's brought an idea, it's been a, a really awful experience and he, and he went away rejected, that he may just stop bringing anything to Alan. Yeah, that's right. You're going to discourage them from ever interacting with you. Yeah. So I imagine there are some differences, though, um, in this analogy, that the classroom is not exactly the workplace. I do think there are some disanalogies that are worth keeping in mind. Uh, one sort of caveat to consider is that you should be considering the impact of taking bad ideas seriously on other people in your organization, right? In, in a classroom setting, you know, nurturing that idea for a little bit before moving on to the next student is is one thing but you know if you're in a board meeting it's 30 minutes long there's a lot to cover right you, you might not have the luxury of time 
I might do some things one-on-one with a student, like read a paper that I know is riddled with problems and, and spend a lot of time with them, giving them feedback. But, you know, I wouldn't do that kind of development work right there with 20 other students around. I wouldn't let it dominate class discussion for the entire class session. And I wouldn't require students to come to my office hours and sit with me while I'm working through this paper that I think might be riddled with problems. And so, you know, but if the only thing lost in considering this bad idea is your time and that person's time, that's one thing. But if it affects, you know, 200 plus people in the organization, you know, you're going to have to kind of pay attention as to when do I put on my teacher hat and when do I put on my, no, we just got to get this done and we have like an hour to get it done or we have a week until the deadline. And so now is not the time for development. I guess the other caveat to consider is, I mean, it's related, just considering to what extent your role in developing people really is along the dimension of cultivating certain kinds of habits of thinking uh, and training them to think like a banker or think like a real estate agent or whatever the industry is, right? How much are you supposed to train them to think like that as opposed to like just get results and get the job done? When you're a teacher, developing those soft skills in your students is your only job. So it's easy to say as a teacher, yes, you need to think about how you approach taking the quote unquote bad ideas seriously. Remember, we're not supposed to call them bad ideas because they're not. But, you know, a, a manager sometimes has to put on the hat of a teacher, but sometimes just has to get the job done. Yeah. Along that line, can I throw you a hypothetical? Sure. Okay. So I'm imagining that a small or family business would be more invested in this developing employees. In that way, it is more like the classroom because you might be training one of your kids to take over the family business, or you may have sort of a closer mentorship relationship in a, in a, in a small business. But I imagine that those organizations would have less time and in particular less resources to go down a path that you think may not pan out. How would someone going about weighing those values of where they really want to develop someone into a manager or, or in nurture their, those soft skills, but they're already operating on really small margins. And so they don't really have the time or money to do things they think might not work. That's a really good question. I think this is why owning a small business is so hard, right? You don't have some of the resources. You don't have the luxury of time. You don't have the luxury of money. I don't think you have to always take the bad ideas seriously. I I think there is, of course, a time and a place to be like, you know what? I really appreciate this idea. But at this point in time, we can't afford to take a risk on a solution that's costly like that. I can tell you we've tried things like that in the past. Uh, And so in this particular case, I, I just, I simply cannot justify the expense, right? If this is like, you know, giving them resources to try out, to play test an idea. And I think you just need to be more mindful sort of in terms of holistically, how do you interact with this person? I, I think it's it's worse and more damaging to sort of consistently do that, never letting them try it out, never spending time to talk through an idea and instead just telling them why it's a bad idea. There's a time and a place for being able to say, you know what, right now, we just cannot do that. And we've tried it before. 
And I think as long as you're intentional about ensuring that there have been ample times where you've taken their input seriously, where you've shown them that you value what they bring to the table, then I, I think that actually makes it easier to shoot down ideas at a later point in time. So I think I think that's that's something that would be worth considering. So we've given Alan a lot of tips of how to deal with a new hire and how not to crush someone's precious first ideas. But should Alan be worried at all if this is disingenuous, maybe a little patronizing, that he might even be lying, that in his head he may be working really hard even to change the way he's thinking about it. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. But he sort of still thinks this is a waste of time. Is that Does he need to be worried at all about something like that? I think he does, right? I mean, if if someone like Doug realizes that you're what appears to be just humoring him, he might be like, "Look, you just you're just afraid to make me upset and you're the you're the boss. You should if if you think this is a bad idea, you need to let me know it's a bad idea and don't waste my time. You're wasting your time, you're wasting my time. You know, treat me like a grown-up, not not a kid." Right? That I you know, there's a, there's a real sense in which someone in Doug's position could think that way. And I think there's two things. One thing that I think someone in Alan's position needs to be prepared for is to be prepared to talk about why he's approaching things the way he's approaching them. You know, let's say Alan did this thing, entertained the bad idea seriously. You know, a year later, Doug finds out like, whoa, you always thought that was a terrible idea. Like from the start, like when I first walked into your office and you you led me down this year long journey to discover that it's going to fail. Why'd you do that? And Alan needs to be prepared. Like, look, I am not just about results here, right? I'm not just about what whatever the goal is, whatever that target goal is, making more profit or whatever it is. I play the long game in terms of how I approach business here. And part of that long game is helping develop in you habits of thinking so you can think the way I do. And the only way I can help you think the way I do about a problem is to be there by your side as you go through it. And I, I needed you to go through this process so you can start to be a more independent thinker in this field. I need to set up conditions where I don't need to be here, right? Like my my job as a boss is to make my job irrelevant, right? If I if I can make everybody be able to do these things, that that's part of my job. And so it's it's about your development is as important to me as these other things, right? Sort of putting putting it all in terms of like, Doug, this is about you. And it's not about me feel, feeling bad or, or not having the courage to tell you that I think it's a bad idea. It's about helping you develop so that you can one day basically take over my role or be my boss one day. Right. Another thing is a kind of final analogy uh, between teaching and management, particularly when it comes to developing people that I think is helpful and will also help you get out of the mindset of thinking about things as bad ideas and help you not worry too much about being disingenuous is that whenever Alan's interacting with someone like Doug in a situation like this, really try to practice some intellectual humility in the following sense. So I think I am my best self teaching when a student is talking with me and I am actually genuinely open to the thought that I'm going to learn something from them in this moment and, and that I could learn something 
that changes my mind about this idea that we're discussing. And, you know, if you can get yourself into that mindset and try to get yourself in that mindset seriously and, and actively listen and try to find the thing in what they say that might be different, that might have a kind of different spin on it, you're, you're not going to feel disingenuous. You're going to be less inclined to immediately think of the thing that's coming your way as the bad idea. And it's going to feel to the student like I'm really having a genuine, serious conversation and I'm taking them seriously as someone doing philosophy. And so always trying to tell yourself, this might be the time that I'm going to learn something new about this problem, that'll get you in a position where you you won't feel disingenuous. And who knows, this may actually be the one time the idea turned out to be a pretty good idea because they had a, a slightly different spin on it or they saw an angle that you you hadn't seen. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. If you have a question about business ethics you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at katherineberry at depaw.edu and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. We hope you are staying safe and healthy in this crisis. We also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org slash work. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.